In recent days, temperatures have begun to drop and the weather has become noticeably colder. With the prospect of continuing high energy costs, the days and months ahead will remain challenging for many. It's vitally important we all stay warm and well through these colder periods. Support is available for those who need it. And government has put in place a range of measures to lessen the financial impact on families, households and businesses across the country. Be sure to make yourself aware of the support, information and advice available to you through a loan, MABS and the Commission for Regulation of Utilities. For more information visit gov.ie forward slash reduce your use. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Even when you're far from your loved ones, bring your world a little closer by sending the money with Western Union. Send cash at over 900 post offices across the country quickly and easily. Transfer money for cash pickup in minutes or directly to a bank account in select countries. Find your local post office at onpost.com slash Western Union and send money to the ones you love today. Funds availability subject to terms and conditions. OnPost is an agent of Western Union Payment Services Ireland Limited. Regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland for the provision of payment services. Go Loud presents Around the World in 80 Gays. Around the World in 80 Gays is on a brief package holiday in Magaluf, just for a few weeks, as we prepare our minds and bodies for Series 2. In the meantime, we're re-releasing episodes from Series 1 to keep you going. This week, we're revisiting our chat with our first ever guest on Around the World in 80 Gays, <laughs> the one and only Rory Cowan. Now, currently, he can be seen on RTE's Fair City as Bosco. And before that, he starred in a little show called Mrs. Brown's Boys as the lovable Rory Brown. Do you remember the mankini? Oh, my God. In this episode, he tells us all about coming out, going out, and how his parents taught him to stand up for himself at all times. Before you listen, don't forget to follow her at Catherine Lynch Official and me at Brian Kennedy. Oh, <laughs> sake, you put it into my head now. Brian okay. singing Kennedy. Imagine. Are you a singer? <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news and launch date for series two of Around the World in 80 Gays. <laughs> Can we use that? I want to ask you one question, he said. Last year, he said, when you were living up in your ma's house and they were on holidays, I went up and I slept in the same bed as you for two weeks and you never laid a hand on me. He says, what was wrong? So I started laughing. Yeah. And then that was it. And nobody cared. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Heroes of our bygone days who fought for freedom and equality. Icons, anthems coming out Pronouns, drag queens, struggles, life and love Around the world Around the world In 80 gays In 80 gays Around the world Around the world In 80 gays In 80 gays Woo! <laughs> Camp Welcome to Around the World in 80 Gays, a podcast hosted by me, Catherine Lynch. And me, Brian Kennedy. Each week we talk about gay culture, gay inspirations, gay icons, gay everything, Catherine. And Brian name drops every celebrity he's ever met. I just can't help it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. This is Around the World in 80 Gays. 
So here we are. Let's begin by telling people what they've chosen to commit 30 minutes of their lives to. Asha, why not, Catherine? We've decided to do the podcast because we want to hear more stories from our LGBTQ IIA plus people and about how rights and freedoms, or the lack of them, have shaped and shifted our guests' gay lives. We want to hear their coming out stories, or as we prefer to say, their letting in stories. And who let you in, Brian? (laughs) I think it was Elton John, was it? Elton! Elton! Each week... Our guests will share with us who their gay icons are. And what their gay anthem is. And of course, not only is my co-host Brian Kennedy a gay man, he's also a Eurovision entrant, a flower-arranging muscle Mary, a multi-platinum selling singer who has collaborated with everyone from... Joni Mitchell. To the fabulous... Boy George. Okay, everybody, take a shot every time Brian mentions a celebrity. Well, it's my truth, Catherine. Enough you. Will you please big me up now? Okay, deep breaths, everybody. Here we go. Uh, She's Catherine Lynch, Ireland's first female drag queen winning Alternative Miss Ireland in 1998 as well as being an All-Ireland champion red wine drinker I can attest to that. I did horn the corks into earrings I do did to be fabulous <laughs> She's also an actress singer comedian poet infamous for her camp comedy and madcap TV characters such as Busty Lycra drag. Sheila Sheik my favourite and Liz Hurley Dragish. <laughs> now that we've got our CVs out of the way let us introduce our first guest in this our very first episode Well he can currently be seen on our television screens in Fair City playing the role of Bosco and before that started in a tiny indie wee show nobody's really ever heard of called Mrs Brown's <laughs> Boys as the lovable Rory Brown. Oh Rory listen he's our inaugural guest Catherine are you excited? I'm excited. Oh I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, Rory welcome to the podcast. Yes. Thank you very much for having me it's great to be here. Ah that's great. So listen before we start because Brian's going to take off I just want to I get very confused. So Jennifer Brendan's wife is his daughter Cathy on the show and her sister Fiona is Brendan's neighbour Winnie her daughter is Sharon and Winnie is his sister Eilish in real life so yes and Sharon <laughs> is Brendan's sister-in-law and Buster is Brendan's son oh my god and uh, Maria is Brendan's daughter and Bono is Brendan's grandson okay stop please and my brain Lister is Brendan's grandson another one of Brendan's grandsons <clears throat> there's so a load of them the gay member was the least of your problems am I right they weren't giving that to anyone in this family they had to look outside for that <laughs> and they found you Rory and they Cowan. found me we must tell people at home who are listening Rory Cowan's also my neighbour he lives up the road from me yes around the corner yeah, so yes. occasionally we get together for you know a bit of gay gossiping and bubbles yes. of course wow yes. mm-hmm. so where did you first meet where did we first meet probably in a gay bar I think I think it probably was I know you came to one of the shows we did in the Olympia yes and, that's right uh, but I think we met before that um, I think I came up to you and said hey listen I just want to say congratulations on all that's your success right, and you, you kind of looked at me like are you serious this was, that's right I remember that that was Christmas Eve in the George mm-hmm. and what happened was nobody had said anything and about like congratulations on the success of Mrs Brown's Boys or whatever it was but you came up to me and I, I, it was so so strange I thought is he slagging me <laughs> and I went what do you mean? And he says, no, congratulations. Then I thought, oh yeah, thanks very much. That's you great, see, thanks a lot very that, much. There's a lot about Rory Khan that people don't know. He, I mean, he is an incredible music fan. You started off your career with EMI Music, is that right? That's kind of right. behind the yeah. scenes. I got the best job ever in my life. I worked in a record shop in O'Connell Street that was owned by EMI and my, wa- my take-home wages was £21.50 a week. I used to earn £28 a week, but what Seven year are we talking about? 1977. Wow. My mother, I was great at maths in school and my mother wanted me to get a job in the bank and I couldn't think of anything I would hate more. Oh. I just couldn't think about it. And I went to go for an interview type thing while I was in school and they showed me at the top of the form, it said your retirement date is... And I went... <gasps> 
I haven't even done me leaving and they're talking about me retiring. And I just couldn't think of anything I would hate more. And Brendan's wife, Jenny, she did actually work in the bank and she found that very strange as well because and she reminded me of it, um, that that's what it was. Um, And I I just honestly couldn't think. So I deliberately failed maths in me leaving cert. Because mothers can nag you into doing something you don't want to do. And they keep at you and eventually say, okay, I'll do it. And then... You can't get out. So I just failed. So there was no way I could get a job in the bank. And is it true that your parents were trade unionists? Is that right? My father was a trade union official with the Irish Transport and General Workers Union. And my mother was, any any job she had, she she was she came to shop steward mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. And they were always very union minded. And my father was involved in the 60s and the 70s with travellers' rights. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and would so he that, have tapped <clears> into gay rights? My father never understood being gay. It just didn't, like, my mother was trying to explain to him. What, he, there was something on the telly and he was about, uh, when they started talking about, um, uh, not gay marriage, it was years before that, it was civil partnerships. And he was, because he died in 2008. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about this years ago. And he's looking at the telly and going, what are they talking about? And my mother said, well, it's like two men living together. And he says, ah, for what, we all used to do that when we went to England first. And <laughs> we were all working on the building sites. Every, we all, all the fellas used to sleep in the same bedroom. And I said, what's what, They used to do that in England. Everyone done that. And he says, no, no, they'd be sort of in, like, sleeping together. Ah, but yeah, it used to be like that as well. Like, one would get out of bed and another one would get into it. And then one it was a different to, form of top and, and bottom. That's what he yeah. was telling <laughs> And so, he said it, how did you actually come out to uh, your father and mother then? Um, well, my mother always knew. And then when I was, I said to her years later, um, I said to her, Ma, you must have known. And she said, well, I did. She said, but it wasn't my conversation to be having. It was your conversation. But she said, there's one thing. I, I'm glad she said she never said anything because she had a weird way of looking at things. Mm. And when she said it, it was like, I get what she's talking about. She said, when you say can you sit down I have to tell you something that's the premise that you're going to admit to doing something wrong yeah and she said don't you ever say to anyone I have to tell you something oh wow you live your life and don't don't you don't have to explain yourself but you certainly don't have to try and make it easier for somebody else if they have a problem that's their problem it's not yours she says don't ever explain yourself and another funny thing that she said to me as well she said uh, asked about boyfriends and I said no I don't have any I'm not interested and she said no she says you have to get a boy you have to get a a partner and um, she says no and I'm going to tell you who to get and I went (laughs) (laughs) typical mother until she found out she was always trying to fit me up with women (coughs) fix me up with women and all all I ever hear was Rory Cowan have I got a girl for you and I go oh (laughs) Oh, god please don't do this But then when she found, when she realised I was gay and, she, and it was out there, she said, now we'll find a man. Now she said, what you have to do is, she said, find yourself a Chelsea supporter. Why? Now, this was in the <laughs> 80s. And I said, what? What are you talking about? Now this was before Roman Abranovich brought, brought over Chelsea. But in, these, in the 70s and 80s, Chelsea were winning nothing. They won nothing at all. Okay. But every week they had the most support, the biggest crowds at their matches. Yeah. They had the most supporters. And my mother said, Chelsea supporters have proved their loyalty. Oh. Even when they're not winning, they've proved their loyalty. So you find a Chelsea supporter and you've got a loyal man. And I thought, oh, OK, I guess. Well, that's kind of gorgeous advice, talking about. Until you come back with Chelsea Chandler. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> camp it up, Mom. Oh, no, I never got the Chelsea supporter. I, I never did. I that story was going because sports is completely over my oh, head, God. as usual. Yeah, but that, she had a funny way of thinking. But when she'd say it, she'd get, I don't know what she's talking about now. Yeah. And especially the... Don't tell, like, say, oh, I have to sit you down and tell you something or I have something I have to tell you. Yeah. She says, that means you're telling something, you, you, yeah. you're doing something wrong and you're hoping they'll forgive you or you're hoping that they're going That's to accept powerful. you. So she said, never do that. 
All this Brian, what was yours like on the false road? It must have been really you tough. You can imagine it was horrific. But I mean, they'd be pontificating from the pulpit, literally saying homosexuals would die in hell. <gasps> you know, that, those words left their lips. You know, really? yeah. so I think that it's God love us as a nation. People couldn't even get their heads around heterosexuality. Never mind any other kind yeah, of sexuality. Yeah, sure, we didn't even have condoms. You weren't allowed to be yeah. having think of yourself as sexual at all. It, so, Roy, you're talking about. Uh, you can imagine. I'm in the it's the seventies. I'm up on yeah. the false road yeah. in the middle of all of that fire and war. Yeah. You're down where in Ballyfermot or what? Part of Dublin. Well, we'd left Ballyfermot. I was in Dundrum at the time because yeah. my father was a trade union official, and he we he he had to run a branch down in Athlone. Right. So we went there for two years. Uh-huh. Then he had to run. Did a you branch live in, in Athlone for Athlone two years? For two years. Oh now my I God. loved it. Now I, I have deep empathy it. for you, oh, far it. more so. We love Athlone. <laughs> no, I loved. I absolutely loved it. I actually lived and in it a while we went, myself. He went, he went to Limerick, and we went down there for another two years. Right. And I I enjoyed. I liked Limerick as well. Yeah, um, me too. And then we came back to Dublin, and it was around this time in Dublin that I started going on the gay scene. What was your first gay bar? I think that's... that's oh, my, no. first, my first gay bar was um, Bartley Jones and I went in there. I wasn't even... Four, I was a few months short of my 14th birthday. I was only... 14th birthday? I can tell you the day it was as well. It was the 24th of March 1973. I was at a Slade concert <laughs> in the National Stadium. And what were you wearing? Someone hit me. I was wearing the... I just... All I had was a t-shirt. I had no jacket and a pair of bell bottoms and platform shoes. And 14. And I mean, I'd say you were I about was, two stone. I was, I was as skinny as a rake. I think I had a 26 inch waist at the time and um, I wish I was like that again but anyway um, I was at the show and I had a seat in block H which was the wooden chairs at the front they weren't the fixed chairs they were the, the right in the front and the noise when Noddy Holder was singing like Slade were huge at the time yeah, I remember. and someone hit me over the head with a chair and I looked up I was on the ground and I sort of what's gone trying to get up and this fella said to me do you go to Benilda's College and I said yeah, he says. If I did, I used to go there. He says, "I'm a trainee hairstylist now." But I used to go there. He says, "I thought I recognised you. If I'd known you, if I'd known recognised you from the back, he said, I wouldn't have hit you with the chair." Oh, and then and he what says, did he want? And then he says, "Come on, we could have it here." He says, "Slade draw, Slade draws a very rough element," and I'm gone. You're the hidden chair. Yeah, you, you're so the rough element. When we left, um, he took me by the hand, and it seemed so natural just to hold his hand going out of the show and to leave the gig, mm. like. I thought well something's gonna this is a strange I just knew that my life was changing that night there was something happening and we got outside and I says where are we going and he said we go to Bartley Jones and I what's Bartley Jones it's a gay bar it's fabulous he said now he was a year older than me he was 14 maybe 15 at the time and on the way walking down from the National Stadium to Bartley Jones he explained to me the whole gay etiquette what we had to do um, he said, now, when you go in here, he said, you don't give anyone your real... He said to me, first of all, what do you want to be called when you go in there? And I said, Rory, that's my name. He said, ah, no, no. He said, you can't go into your real name. Wow. He said, you have to have another name. Because it was said, illegal. Why? No, he said, blackmailers. Oh. If someone went to your mother and says, your son Rory is gay or your son Rory is queer, you're in trouble. But he says, if you pick a name like Maurice or something like that, <laughs> or whatever name you pick, he said, and they go to your mother and say, Maurice is gay. She'd say, I don't have a gay, I don't have a son called Maurice. He said, oh, wow, on. great. And then he said, we also have to have a girl's name. And I was going, ah, here, what are you talking about? I don't want a girl's name. He says, no, you have to have one. Oh, why and the was reason that? was because uh, everyone had a phone, anyone who had a phone in their house, it was usually in the hall. And if somebody rang, your mother, your father, they're listening to see who you're talking to. And if you said, I was out last night with Stella and Alice and blah, blah, blah. And it was Stella, it's Steve and Alice is Gary. And whatever yeah, Brian. And if I said Brian Candy, I'd say Jackie. <laughs> Jackie, <laughs> Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy. So your parents who are listening or people in work, if you were working at the time, they would think you were talking about women. Of so course. it was all part of the gay armour. 
and that's what it was. And so he explained all this to me on the way to I Barton mean, that's a Dunes. lot of work mm. to just walk through the front door of a club. Yeah, and we walked in and now we were only there for a couple of minutes and the Barham, out, <laughs> out. Really? <laughs> Why? Because you were underage? It would be, uh, definitely because it was, we were underage and I must have looked really underage. Well, I was only 13 at the time. I wasn't even 14. Yeah, And uh, what... And the reason for that was the police were always going into the bars. Yeah. And so the gay people were policing themselves. They weren't letting younger people in because that would be a reason to take people's names if the police came in. Yeah. And the reason then the names might end up in the paper and saying they were in a a bar. Yeah. And in those days, how did it make you feel and you, Brian, uh, to be illegal? That must be a really strange feeling. It was looking like at the time it was great fun. It's only looking back on it, I realise... God, it was dreadful. It was just, it was, it was, it was awful. It was, it was so bad because I've come to a stage in my life now, I'm 62 and I've never had a proper relationship with anybody because we were brought up to believe, like the morals we had, we were brought up to have was, you're going to grow up, um, you're going to get married, you're going to get, you're going to get a job, you're going to get married, you're going to have children, you're going to live happily ever after. They're still there for women, by the way. When I hit... 13, 14, especially when I went to the guy, I realised this is not for me. But there was nothing, mm. no reference point for what else there was. And you're waking up hormonally at that yeah. point. Yeah, so, so you're 14, going, your body's okay. changing. And then everyone is saying, like if you're doing that, everyone's saying you're a pervert. Oh. Um, yes, everybody right. was against you. Yeah. And uh, if you did have a boyfriend, if you met somebody, what I found, looking back, which I, it's, it's actually very sad when you look back on it, but it was just accepted at the time. If I had a boyfriend, um, especially when I was working. Um, no, even if I was in school or something like that. Nobody in school or nobody, your workmates never knew, your family never knew, his family never knew, his workmates never knew, his friends or my friends never knew. So nobody knew. And that was gay, rela- most, uh, most of the gay relationships mm. at the time, nobody knew. Now you ask yourself, if a marriage between a man and a woman at the time, how many marriages would have survived if they were told Secret. you'd have to be totally secret and you can meet in a bar this one bar but outside of that nobody has to know you're together they never last and you've got a fake name you have to have a fake identity that's what struck me about your book you know I remember going to the launch of Mrs Cowan's Boy his beautiful book is called ladies and gentlemen um, that you talked about that's the part of our lives that generate like I'm 55 you're 62 Mm. so gay men of our generation didn't ever get to just do normal things like cultivate a relationship in you know, in, in perfect sight of other people. When you're a teenager in your early 20s, you should be going out with all load of different people until you feed the right one yeah. or whatever it is. But that's usually the way it goes. And you go out with loads of different people. That yeah. doesn't happen. That didn't happen on the gay scene because the relationships weren't, they had no value. They weren't even seen as relationships. That's right. And if you, even if you were with somebody for years, there, there was a, there was a few people who used to, who did that. But I, they were, very, they were few and far between at the time. And even when they died, they weren't recognised at the other half. So even at oh. the end, when you died, you didn't, you weren't seen, the relationship right. wasn't seen as a relationship. And maybe a brother even or a sister who had been spoken to you for years yeah. comes in, throws the boyfriend out because he's no rights yeah. and, and takes the home that oh, they shared. I've, I've stories about that and I was involved yeah. in this, situation like that and it was I remember where I was at this uh, this man I got a car from EMI in 1984 when I became the marketing manager I had a company car and a friend of mine rang me the exact same day and he said did you get your car and I said yeah he says I need you to come out to Sutton tonight he said and we're, we're helping someone move things and I thought okay so I went out and there was an old man 
an, an elder, what I thought was an old man. He was probably in his 50s or 60s at the time, but he, at the, I was only in my 20s, so I thought he was old. And we went out and I, I wasn't talking to him. He seemed to be in a room with just a few people around him, but I was taken. I was told, put that picture in the car, put that picture in the car, take that silver. And I thought, are we robbing this house? I thought, this <laughs> wow. is crazy, are we robbing? Yeah. But what was happening was the man had, uh, he was in a relationship with another man. The other man died that day and he was estranged from the family because the family didn't want to know that he was, didn't want to accept he was gay and they would. So he hadn't had anything to do with his family, but by law, mm. they were entitled to to take his everything. assets, half that house and half of everything that was in yeah. it. Yeah. So we were moving stuff out so the family couldn't get it. Yeah. And Precious they rang things. me before they rang the ambulance or rang the police. Or, and they rang me, can you get your car over yeah, here before the family found out. So we were moving all the valuables out of the house and the family did. They moved in. And, and if, you're, but if you're legally entitled to something, you will go for it. It's no point in saying, oh, well, yeah. we, we leave it all to the other fella he was with. No, you're legally entitled to it, so you will go for it. And that, did, that was a regular thing. Did those things that you went through all, th- all the way through 70s and 80s, was there ever a point that you just thought, you know, I, I don't want to be gay? I just, you know. No, I never did because, and the reason I didn't, because when I went on the scene, I met two wonderful friends. I met a good few wonderful, but there were two in particular, Ken and Robert, and they're still great friends of mine today. They're their chosen gay (coughs) family, would you say that? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. And uh, I've known them for over 40 years. And if I hadn't been gay, I'd never would have met them. Brian, did you ever feel that you didn't want to be gay? Absolutely. It's a very confusing time because everybody around you in power was saying that's disgusting, it's unnatural, it's synonymous with... uh, I mean, you know, there were never any same-sex couples around us uh, that had a lovely context. The context was only in an abusive context mm. so if it was too old pa- that's Paddy and Johnny and they live up the street or that's old Iris and her best friend you know Teresa who lived together for mm. 40 years there were never those examples around and certainly the subtle language for me certainly when I was I knew I was not like the other boys was really they were edging me towards the priesthood which essentially uh-huh. really no one knew oh, that no. was a really bad <clears throat> well, you got, and also the, the unspoken language is that yeah. that's where you put the gay boys you know, wow. that's the biggest closet in the world, is mm-hmm. what some people would say. So, yeah, I mean, that language was very, everything was very subtle in, in terms of the straight people around me. Uh, nobody acknowledged it. But what they did acknowledge was how disgusting it was, how unnatural it was. And the confusing thing for me then as well, I've, I've always had women in my life that I've had really passionate relationships with, some of which I had sex with later on. Not me now. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> the, the day is early enough. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's a confusing thing because you have all these feelings for the girls in my life yeah. that I, and some of these those girls turned into women and, and they're my gay family. I'm talking about Anne and Mary, as you know, Catherine. And you've entered my life and become a best friend too. So it's a funny thing to still have passionate, deep feelings for members of the opposite sex. We're just not having sex. But we're just not Same having thing. sex. Same thing, I might as well be married to you some days. Well, some, <laughs> well as you say, you know, how do you know somebody's married? They're not having sex, yeah. you know. But I found well, you, learned, me, sorry, you learn very early. Yeah. yeah. Like when you go on the gay scene, very quickly you learn to be aware of what, you listen to what people are saying. Yes. Because you have to suss them out. Are these going to be friends or enemies? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's straight people, not gay people, but all the people around you, you really start to suss out very, very quickly. Um, and just by listening. And I think that's probably why I ended up going into acting, because acting mm-hmm. really is just listening and reacting to what you hear. Well, um, I suppose for me, from a straight point of view, I just am baffled all the time by the powerful strength 
the courage mm. that I was introduced to when I came up to Dublin in the late 90s and I went to gay bars and yeah. there was all these fabulous anthems and icons. Mm. So I just, when was that moment in your life where you went, OK, I have the power now. I see somebody in my culture that I can actually look up to. Mm. Well, initially, when I was when I was gay first with this friend of mine that I talk about in the book, Justin. Now, that's not his real name, but that's because he has family still alive. And they, there was lots of stories in there and he committed suicide later on. He took his own life in the 80s. But um, nobody knew I was gay. Nobody even knew I was friends with him. And now, there was nothing ever happened between us. We were just great friends and we were like buddies that spurred each other on to go up to mad things when yeah. we went out and it was it was it was fantastic but nobody else knew but then when I met Ken and Robert and stuff like that then because I was always thinking if I tell anyone I'm gay it's going to be if, what if they don't accept me then I've no friends I've stuck out here in Dundrum I've nothing oh. but when I got friends when I met Ken and Robert then it was a case of well I don't really care now yeah and that was when, your power and then that was it because now I had if me Friends from school didn't like it. Well, to hell with them. I have new friends. I don't care. Mm. I mean, new friends were becoming my best friends anyway. And I was spending more time with them. So it didn't matter to me. But I never got the chance to come out. Um, I was found out. Um, I moved into an apartment with a girl that I know, Annette. And we had this apartment in Milltown. And it was a two bedroom apartment. My mother would never come down to the apartment because she thought I was living with Annette and I was living in sin. And she said, I'm not encouraging that. So, so even she would, that wasn't right. So, she wouldn't, yeah. right. so she couldn't come down. But we were at a party one night and I'd met this fellow who used to sing in restaurants and stuff like that. And he was a lovely singer. <laughs> and I just, there was always girls hanging around him. And, but we got on and I just assumed he was straight. And we were in my uh, in the apartment and chatting away. It was a big party going on. And he said, uh, would you show me the apartment? And I said, yeah, all right, it's not much to see. I said, there's two bedrooms. I said, that's Annette's. I said, but we can't go in there. I said, there's the bathroom. I said, the, the next one has an ensuite. And lovely curtains. And blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> he says, and where's your bedroom? I says, that's there. He says, we'll have a look in there. So we went in mm-hmm. and he locked the door. Mm-hmm. And sort of, I can't remember whether he dived on me or I dived on him, <laughs> but we dove, we dove, we dived yes. on each other. And um, I could hear people saying, where's Rory in the size around somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And next thing from outside the window, I didn't realise that the balcony from the sitting room, if you leaned out, you could see into the bedroom. Oh, no. And somebody shouted, he's in bed with a fella. He's a queer. Oh, no. And now once I heard that, he's a queer in my flat, in my apartment, I just jumped up out of the bed, wrapped a towel around me and went in. I says, right, who's that calling me a queer? Party's over. Everyone out. Good out, for out, you. Get out, get wow. out of here. And then a friend of mine from school, Sean Dawson, he just said, Rory Cowan, I want to ask you one question, he said. Last year, he said, when you were living up in your ma's house and they were on holidays, I went up and I slept in the same bed with you for two weeks and you never laid a hand on me. He says, <laughs> what was wrong? So I started laughing. Yeah. And then that was it. And nobody cared. But then when I went back into the room and I could hear, the, the, the again, the phone, phone out in the hall, I could you won't believe who's queer. And I'd say, gay. Oh, and they'd say, yeah, yeah, sorry, Rory. It's Rory. I'm down. Yeah, honest to God. And it was all night. There was just a long line of people queuing up to use the phone to ring everyone they knew. To out so you. that's how it was. That's how I was. That's it never. I never got a chance to come out. Yeah. I was found out and that was it. But it was not one of my friends had a problem with it. None of them. 
That's very rare, I yeah, think. Not one of them had a problem with it. Yeah. They were all, and even girls that I knew, the gorgeous looking girls who never even looked at me when we were growing up or anything like that, who never looked at me. They, uh, the, there was some things with some of them that thought, oh, well, who just needs a good woman? And they all assumed they were the good woman. Yeah. So I was I being offered everything and I'm going, my God, oh, if only... If did you straight- ever have a girlfriend? Oh yeah, I did. I had did girlfriends. I yes, I did. I had a couple of girlfriends. I never and had one. Damn. Not yet. I <laughs> know. Yeah, I did. I used to go out with girls when I was in school, and it was did you like have sex with girls. I, I did. And um, what did you think was, when you were doing? No, that? I was fine. You know, when you're that age, when you're young, your hormones are just—I yeah, mean, a cracked right. place. It, you know well, as I, I always mean, say, you're a hostage. To yeah, your hormones, you are, so and you just you, you, that it, takes you over. drags it around like your hormones just drag you. But I realised very quickly when um, I just thought. Because I was always had to be honest with myself, and I mm. thought, Rory, you've got to stop going out with girls because yeah. you know you're not going to stay with them. That's right. So you're really just leading them on, and it's not right. They could actually be looking for somebody. So that else. means all my exes were actually gay. So <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want to have. I didn't want to be doing that. I'm only. I just assumed I was making a fool of them. Oh, that's if I was to do that. And I copped onto that very young, and so and then once I had gay friends, then and mm. I was out. That was it. So how did you virtual signal that you were gay to society? Like, what was your ah, gay geez, icon? Everyone, never, my, my gay icon. For for some reason, like I'd heard all this like walk on the wild side. But at the time when I heard that in the early 70s, I, was, I wasn't sure who the characters, what they were talking about. When they said a hustle here, a hustle. I thought yeah. they were talking about like the film The Hustler, people playing pool and taking right. money off. I, so I didn't and candy, know. Candy, and candy, candy came. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Take a walk on the wild I, side. So I didn't get what the characters, but I, I liked the song and I knew there was something there. And there was Rod Stewart um, The Killing of Georgie but that was like a stereotype the, do you thing. know that song The Killing no. of Georgie is the most spectacular oh, it's song it's fabulous and, and it's about and, the, and the it goes Georgie, Georgie Boy yeah. was gay I guess nothing more nothing less yeah. really, but like the first of its kind I oh, think it was, but there was nothing else around yeah. that at the time and there was another one Georgina Bailey by Nusha Fox and that was a, that was a good one mm. but there was a few of them out but the one that really got me that I thought was oh Jesus this is great it was Bransky Beat Small, Small Time, Time Boy, Boy. Wow. that just yes. showed the shame of everything of yes. being beaten up and being caught by the police and being brought home having to your parents to and having to leave yeah. home and it was just that heartbreaking song just the and, and the video when I saw there's it, a loneliness it about that just, song that's what it is too. I thought that 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 was just brilliant so that yeah. would be my gay anthem yeah. because that really spoke to me when I was now I was never beaten up or anything like that so I was nothing ever nothing like that ever happened to me but that seemed to be the first really true song like even the Killing the Georgie the Rod Stewart song he died in the end and it was like oh come on because yeah. I used yeah. to hate all that the gay people they had to come to a bad end or they had to in, be crazy in or they song, had to be murderers yeah, or, they, or something yeah. or dirty yeah. old men or something yes, they had to be right. all that so I so I never bought in because that was never what I saw and then when you do realise mm. when I did think look back on it later I actually know people that were murdered Yeah, um, Frank McCann who was a very good friend of mine was murdered oh. in the front lounge and oh, um, I heard there was a that. lot That's of people right. that I knew and Panty was on the show that night and I, but I don't know how Panty ever got over that because he was I was in Manchester with Mrs Brown's boys on that night <laughs> and so there was you sort of think oh gay people they come to a sad end but then when you look back you go well actually some of the ones I know did and yeah. it was it was it was really really bad you would have gone through the whole um, AIDS um, epidemic as well yeah. Um, that was our Brian, first pandemic, really, wasn't those. it? Really? Yeah. yeah. This is this. Yeah, the COVID. Like, that's not. That's not Air Force Rodeo. We went yeah, through the other exactly. ones. As well. <laughs> Who would have been your person icon that 
you saw yourself in or you went, oh, my God, that person is powerful. Mm. The person that I thought was powerful. Um, I always liked really people who are out there. Mm. Boy George, I thought was amazing yeah. Yeah. because he never. Now, he's, he'd be younger than I am, but I really admired he's him. He's only a wee bit younger. And the reason I admired him was he was just himself. Yes. Elton John got married. Yeah. Freddie Mercury was denying. That's right. Elton married a woman. Freddie Mercury was denying. Everybody was denying. Who Even were. Daniel LaRue would come out yeah. at the end and say, what's your mate? Yeah. Dressed as a guy. So he was never fully himself. Whereas, yeah. as you say, boy George, boy George, from the get-go. From the very beginning. Yeah. And it could have destroyed his career, but he didn't care. Like, he wasn't playing that game yeah. that the rest of them were playing. He was playing. courageous. He was... He was now, out to be there fair and I loved to it. the listeners at home. He was great. Boy George did do that. I'd rather have a cup of tea than have sex line. So he was playing it very well. Safely. He was probably a heroin addict at the time, so he probably <laughs> wasn't interested <laughs> in having sex later, if think, you're yeah, doing that. Right. Brian, who was your gay icon? Would have been Boy George too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think because um, certainly we had. I just missed the David Bowie thing. I just missed punk. Uh, even though punk wasn't, but punk was poetry really with just an angrier voice, wasn't it? Johnny Rotten yeah. is one of the greatest poets I think alive. Yeah, he's fabulous. Um, but I think that certainly when suddenly you ca- Boy George appeared in full makeup and beautiful hair oh and all those kind of nearly looking like dresses, clothes, Japanese kind of beautiful yeah. clothes that he had on. Um, it certainly caused the conversation, even on the Falls Road. Did you think, did you see that last night? Was that a boy? Was that, was I that a man a or a woman? Oh, oh, that, the no, that was the conversation. I knew he yeah. was a man immediately. Of course yeah. I did. And even... Um, Sorry, the following Halloween, I was in the Pink Elephant and there must have been about 10 Boy Georges there, at least. <laughs> and there were men and women all dressed up as Boy George. Right. I mean, when he hit first, it yeah. was huge. And it was affectionate. And it was overnight and you know, people loved him. My mother adored him. Yeah. And I remember when it came out and I remember when she said uh, it was on television that his brother had come out and said oh, he's got eight days to live or something like the heroin That's addict. Right. And my mother was going, oh, his poor mother. And I'm going, what? His poor mother. He's the one last days. And, just, <laughs> and, and I got it then. It was another thing that your mother would say. That was every mother's worst nightmare. Your child being a drug addict. Your child taking right. drugs. So she was thinking, ah, oh, God, love his poor mother. Sure. And I'm going, come on. Come on. Dinah, wasn't but, she a, a real dub Dinah? Yeah, I met mom. her because, uh, again, she's related to Brendan O'Carroll's wife. Right. Um, Brendan's, another sister-in-law is married to a guy called something Valentine. And Dinah mm-hmm. is a Valentine, oh, and she? they are now related. They're related <laughs> to Brendan's wife. So I met. She came to our shows a few times in the O2 in yeah. London, and she's a lovely woman, like a very nice woman. No, no nonsense with well, her. Well, trust she's the great. Irish to throw an yeah. icon like that into the mix in the eighties. <laughs> Don't you love that? Isn't it amazing? Yeah, you've recorded with him, Brian. I'm very lucky to have recorded a few things with him on his record. I made a record called uh, uh, "A Love Letter to Joni Mitchell," and he heard that record. And uh, we got chatting on the phone and he invited me over to sing on his record, This Is What I Dub. For all those people listening, do check it out. It's an amazing record of his. This Is What I Dub. And the song is called Things Are Going to Change. It's a really wonderful duet. So then I said to him, look, will you come and sing on something of mine? And sure enough, two years later, he recorded with me on my song, Christopher Street. And again, check that out. So this is all on beautiful iTunes, song. all these things. Beautiful song, yeah. Christopher Street. Uh, actually, Brian gave me this ring that I have on my finger, which he bought on, on Christopher, Christopher Street, Street. I, huh? I wear this all the time I've worn yeah. this ring for I years I seem to be the person that buys watches and rings and things and they always end up with other people I well I don't them. have any jewellery at all because I think jewellery should be bought for, for you, you it's I a agree. gift and no, nobody ever bought me well, a jewellery funny ever. we have a Tiffany bracelet for you here <laughs> on the show we're giving well, one I do, to every guest well I do was dropping a hint from your friend Tiffany yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you see that's the thing like as I say people should buy you gifts but I didn't I never had relationships that were that ever got that far like I remember yeah. I was going out with somebody and when we split up 
I was broken hearted and I'm sure he was, but I was really broken hearted. Mm. And but I was working in EMI at the time and I had to go to work the next day and nobody knew I was broken hearted yeah. and I couldn't let them know. Um, my family didn't know, my friends mm. didn't. Nobody knew that I was I'm sure there are less over that. Yeah. And that would have been the story for an awful lot of people. The men and women out there, exactly. The, the loneliness of yeah. that. And they didn't know. That and that's. And it's only when you look pain. back at it. Yeah. yeah and again and again. You look back at it and you just go, oh God. So it really wasn't great for us now. It really wasn't. Rory, tell us something that maybe you've never told anybody before that we we wouldn't know about you. I, I think it is interesting that you've got an incredible connection to music, to EMI, to working with Tina Turner and Kate Bush and all those things. But is there something, Rory Cowan? that we need to know about you that we don't know you've never told anybody well a lot of people wouldn't know about the background of working with all the well the funny the, the funniest thing was because like, I found a picture last night of myself with uh, Bruce Dickinson from oh Iron, yes Iron, from Iron Maiden, Maiden yeah. the Iron Maiden singer and in the photograph and I put it up online sometimes there's a few of us from EMI and he's there in the front and uh he would blend in with the wall. You wouldn't, if you saw He's him. a little like, fellow, tiny, isn't he? tiny guy, but he was just day. there and you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't notice him um, with the clothes he was wearing. And I said to him, the difference is that when you go on stage, I said, and you're, you can't take your eyes off you. Yeah. I said, you're, you're silver and you're, you're black leather and you're jumping around the place. And he said, and your hair's all out. And I, I said, um, your hair's all hooshed up. And he said, <laughs> well, that's just so as I can be seen from the back of the arena, really. He said, yeah. this was the days before big screens. Mm. And I took that with me when <laughs> Brendan O'Garrell said to me one night, <laughs> the actor who's playing Rory has left. You know the lines are on stage tonight. And I'm going, what? <laughs> Never on a stage in my life. And I went out and I bought, I said, right, how am I going to get seen from the back? So I bleached my hair blonde and I got the brightest of clothes and everything. And that was all down to Bruce, Bruce Dickinson's right. advice. Way. And the man Keeney, of course. <laughs> So, oh God, um, don't speaking of advice, what's the best advice uh, you've ever received as a gay man? Oh, good question. Oh, no. Uh, the best advice I've ever... Re- the best advice I've... And again, it wasn't advice. It was sort of people saying, like, where somebody said to me, I'm I'm 100% right. Trust your instincts. Mm. Oh, like, always trust your instincts, especially about people, because yeah. you don't know who's going to stab you in the back. You could have great friends, and as soon as there's a row they will bring up the gay thing or they will make an accusation against you or something like that and it does happen. So they said, use your instincts and uh, especially when it comes to people. That's good um, advice. Don't, uh, don't sort of leave it go. Don't, like if, you, so if you're, if you're your good instincts. feeling, yeah, trust your, trust instincts. your instincts. If your guts are telling you, this is not someone to be trusted. Don't so trust anyway, um, well then, thank you so much, Rory, for joining us. Oh, okay. Was it all right? It's Grant? so sad that it's over. <laughs> you, you know what? I might even go home and watch an episode of Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs> Calm down now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might have come to my senses by the time I get home. I'll go and have a watch. <laughs> Look at the ones I'm in. They're hilarious. <laughs> okay, so um, it was really wonderful to have you here, Rory. Wasn't I enjoyed it? it. Thanks very and, much. Um, before we go, we decided we want to leave all our listeners every week with an inspirational quote from our LGBTQ plus 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 and um, this week it's Oscar Wilde what is it Brian? Well are you prepared for this okay everybody be yourself everyone else is already taken I thought that was RuPaul that's great <laughs> <laughs> oh well everyone robs from Oscar Wilde of course <laughs> 
when you're far from your loved ones, bring your world a little closer by sending the money with Western Union. Send cash at over 900 post offices across the country quickly and easily. Transfer money for cash pickup in minutes or directly to a bank account in select countries. Find your local post office at onpost.com slash Western Union and send money to the ones you love today. Funds availability subject to terms and conditions. OnPost is an agent of Western Union Payment Services Ireland Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland for the provision of payment services.